Kurt. I'm an elder here at the bridge, um, not the usual uh, teaching elder, um, but we tend to sub in from time to time to give Heath a break. Um, so uh, this week we've done, Heath talked last week, it's a two-part series on provision and stewardship. So he talked last week on provision and then brought me in as the closer uh, for stewardship. So um, I'm going to uh, run down kind of a little bit of what he said last week um, and we'll just give a high-level overview and then we'll jump right into stewardship. Um, but anyway, I'm really, I'm really excited to be talking to you guys today. Um, and if my face doesn't show it, I really, really am. Um, I am pumped to be talking to you guys about this. And like God showed me a lot this week, so I'm excited to, to tell you guys about it. Um, so provision, he talked last week. Uh, the way I look at provision, um, and, I, and I'm trying to get out of using the, the kind of uh, Christian type of word you hear, right? Because provision was a word I didn't necessarily hear until I was a Christian. Um, but, but the way I look at it, it's kind of a fancy way of saying what God provides for us. Um, so if we trust in who God says he is and who we know he is, he's all-powerful, almighty, uh, he's the creator, the restorer, he's in control of everything. Um, and, and, and through that, right, he created time, he created life, he created, uh, jobs, he created wealth and talent and, uh, relationships and friendships and marriage, um, and kids and parents and, and, and the earth and the environment and trees and clouds and, uh, you know, the Saharan sand that's blowing through Houston. Like, he created everything right now, um, which is amazing. Um, and that's all part of his provision is that he created everything and then he provides things to us. Um, and Heath walked through this last week, a few tenets. Um, one is that God needs nothing. Right, God is complete on his own. He needs nothing. Uh, two is that God did not come to be served. Um, two, three is that God will supply every need we have. And again, like Jesus came to serve, not be served. So God came to serve, not be served as Christ. Um, and not only that, but he promises to satisfy everything we need um, according to the riches of Christ Jesus for his glory. Um, and I'm going to say that one more time. He promises to satisfy everything we need according to the riches of Christ Jesus for his glory. So Heath had a question last week, said, well, okay, well, if all that's true, then can we serve God? And the answer is yes, we can serve God uh, by allowing him to work in us and through us in everything that he has given us. So we can serve God by allowing him to work in us and through us in everything he's given us. And that is, in a nutshell, called stewardship. Um, and again, that word stewardship, again, a word that I didn't hear. Uh, some of you guys know my story, but I haven't been a Christian. Um, I became a Christian when I was 30, 29 and 30, around that time. Um, and so for the last uh, you know, eight or nine years, sometimes you have to catch up to the rest of the vernacular that uh, Christians use. So, so stewardship is, is one of those things I was always wondering, well, what is that, right? Like, wh what does that mean? Um, so I'm going to define it, and then we're probably going to get off of it pretty quick. And um, so what is a steward? A uh, steward is one employed in a large household or estate um, to manage domestic concerns, such as the supervision of other workers, the collection of rents, and the keeping of accounts. 
So the, good, the one thing to know about a steward is that they're not landlords, right? They don't own the property. Um, and they're also not guests. So a steward is a, is a laborer, um, which is important. So uh, my wife watches Downton Abbey, and so I've seen down, uh, many, uh, many an episode. Um, and I don't, uh, you know, I'm probably going to butcher the, the analogy, but, um, you know, the, the downstairs folks are all laborers. Um, and there's a, there's a particular man named Mr. Carson who is the head butler. And he is the steward over a few of the rooms in the house. He's a steward over the pantry, over the wine cellar, um, and over the dining room. So not only that, but he's also the steward of all the male workers in the house. So ultimately, he's got responsibility for all these things. Um, and so you can imagine that as the steward of the dining room and the pantry, he probably is um, administering accounts and paying for um, food and making sure that food doesn't go missing. And, um, you know, that's, that's part of it is the keeping of accounts. But the other part is, um, you know, the prioritization of time for the workers. Um, you know, the laborers, are, if they're spending too much time in the dining room, maybe they're not doing enough for the duties in the, um, in the pantry. Um, so, so I want to get off the, the, um, the notion that stewardship is simply about money, because it's not. It's about, um, it's about everything um, in that domain. Um, so this term stewardship really is a, a wide arching term. And really what it does is ultimately it acknowledges your responsibility to look after a domain, not as an owner, but as a laborer, as a worker. So once again, God owns everything. Uh, because he created everything, we see that in Genesis 1, right? Genesis, go back to the beginning of Genesis. God created the earth. He created night and day. He created time. God created time. That's, a, that's still like astounding to me. I can't wrap my head around it. Um, God created land, he created water, he created animals, he created grass and vegetation and, and man and woman, um, and he created man and woman to have dominion over those things. Um, and that dominion is to manage, to control, to rule over them. But that comes with responsibility to rule well, to rule as the owner wants you to, to rule and to manage. To manage is a better word. Um, because God has the sovereign authority and he's really just delegating it to us. Um, he's the ownership of everything and he's delegating it to us. And that really flies in the face of a lot of what culture would tell you about life today, right? Is that um, my body is my own. Um, time, we're taught to find ways to free up more time for ourselves, um, that we can kind of control it. Um, money, we're either taught to, to spend it um, on our whims um, or we're taught to save it um, and, and kind of scrounge and, and make, make more of it um, and pass it down for our kids to have a better life. Um, and then the earth, we're taught to take care of the earth um, and to take care of it for, for future generations. And see, all those things aren't bad necessarily, like some of those, you can see how they're twisted, but, um, you know, really... 
it should flow from an acknowledgement that God created everything and that we are stewards of everything that he has created and, and provided to us. So this is, being a steward is really, really hard work. Um, managing, if you've ever managed anything, um, any shop or store or a business, you know that it's really, really difficult work. Um, and it takes a long time to get really good at it. Um, it takes years to master it. Um, all that being said, today we're not going to talk about stewardship. Um, but rather, we're going to talk about the posture of our hearts and the characteristics we're to embody as we manage God's gifts. So God's gifts, life, friendship, time, talents, money, the environment. The posture that we're going to talk about is one of generosity. So pray with me now. Almighty God, um, Father, uh, you are the creator. Um, you uh, own everything, God. You have bestowed and given us so many great gifts. Um, just the gift of, of life and of friendships and of um, the earth and food and um, family. And God, we just, we praise you and thank you for those gifts, God. Um, God, illuminate for us uh, how you want the posture of our heart to be, God. Um, how you want to transform our hearts and our minds uh, to be good stewards of what you've given. In your almighty name I pray, amen. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 15. So as you're flipping, I'll tell you a little bit why I love Corinthians. I love Corinthians because um, Paul is writing to this young church. Um, the church of Corinth is um, pretty, pretty wealthy. Um, and, and Paul writes to the church to offer encouragement but also to offer a lot of exhortation or a lot of correction. There's a lot of correction in Corinthians, both first and second. Um, and, and what I love most about this is that this, if you're looking for an example of discipleship, this is it. Like, read the epistles. Like, Paul is writing to young believers uh, for the most part and is really discipling them in these letters. Um, so if you're looking for an example of discipleship, I, I encourage you to read it all the way through. Um, so really, this is a great place to, to look, uh, to encourage us, and remind us of who we are in Christ, um, but also understand what we're, what we're doing wrong or what we're missing out on, um, and to figure out what this really new life that we're called to um, is. One of the main principles in 2 Corinthians that I want to just take note of, so if you're taking notes, take note of it, is that God triumphs among human weakness. God triumphs among human weakness. So the particular passage that we're going to be reading, um, he is encouraging the, the church of Corinth, the Corinthians, um, to be generous in giving to the church in Jerusalem. Um, now, this, this passage is specifically about money, um, but it really applies to all uh, God's gifts to us. Uh, the, the focus, you know, the Bible spends a lot of focus on money and wealth uh, because God knows that it's one of the things uh, that we most often look to for security um, as opposed to resting in him. Um, 
And often, if you look at where your money goes, that could be an indicator of where your heart is. Um, but, you know, really, again, we're using this passage to help instruct us on how God desires the posture of our hearts as we manage his gifts. So two big questions that we're answering today, two big questions. Um, as we manage God's gifts, number one is how can we become cheerfully generous? How can we become cheerfully generous? Uh, we, we throw it around a lot, but it's something that is very difficult to grasp. And then two is what actually happens when we're generous? Like what, with God's gifts, what actually happens with it? So I'm going to read the, read the passage. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That was a, a mouthful, but we're going we're gonna to take it bite-sized by bite-sized. We're going to go back to Second Corinthians chapter 8 for a little bit, but I promise we're going to make it through. We're all going to be better for it. Um, so how can we become cheerful givers? How can we have that generosity? Um, verse 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So it's in two things about this. One is um, our heart decides, so it's a heart work. Um, and two, it's, it's not under compulsion or reluctance. And this one is really, really, really tough for me. Um, it's, it's really hard for me to be immediately cheerful to be selfless. It really is. Um, at least initially. Like my flesh, uh, my upbringing, my culture, whatever it is, um, everything screams that I, I need to look out for myself. Um, that I need to take care of my family first. That I need to... Um, take care of myself. Um, if I commit to helping a person or if I commit to donating my time to a ministry, um, maybe I won't have enough for my family. Maybe I won't have enough um, to see my kids or I won't have enough to, to relax uh, a little bit. Or, or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not sure I can't, I can't, somebody asked me for money and I'm not sure if I can give any more, um, if it's a ministry or some, some, something. Because, gosh, it seems like a lot of folks have been asking me for money lately. And I just, I just don't know what I have exactly. And, uh, oh, and I, you know, I worked hard for it. And, um, you know, and I'm saving up for this vacation that I really deserve. Um, and, and, and so I confess that that sin of selfishness is often my first response in just about any, uh, in any giving scenario. Um, 
And if you, you look at those responses, like there were a lot of my statements in that, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, a thought that what I have is mine and it's not God's. I'm not being a steward of it. It's just mine. But the great thing is that Paul knows that we're going to have these thoughts. Um, he knows it more than anyone. His letter to the Romans and the Galatians, he talked about uh, how sin can prevent him from doing things that he wants to do. Like, I want to be generous. I do. But it's hard. Um, and, and Paul has a shared experience for, in that, right? This is a common experience to us. So I think take a little, um, if you're anything like me, take a little solace in that. Um, you know, secondly, this is really tough for me because it's really hard for me to make decisions in general. Like, Mary and I struggle with um, a lot of decisions. Um, and so that, the fact that my heart needs to decide how to be generous, um, man, I just want to check a box. Just give me a box. Uh, give me a box of money I need to commit every year to the church and to ministries and to, um, you know, outside, um, you know, good organizations. Um, just give me a box. I want to know how many hours a week um, I need to serve. I really do. Um, you know, like it's probation or something. Like I want to know how many hours of community service I need um, or how often I should, I would just would have loved a checklist. I really would have. Um, but God doesn't, he doesn't work in a checklist, right? He works in continually transformed hearts. So that's what he's working in our lives, right? There's not a checklist. It's it's our hearts that are continually being transformed to look more and more like his. Um, you know, so if I'm, yeah. So God is changing our hearts. How do we, we know that, we can trust in that. Um, so how can we then practically become a cheerful giver? How can we practically be cheerfully generous? The answer comes in verse 8, um, which is we focus on God's great provision and what he gives us. And Heath read this last week, um, but we're going to cover it again uh, because it's just so instrumental to, to where our hearts should lie. So God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So here's what he's saying. God gives you way more than what you need. His generosity abounds to you. This word abounds is like a cool word. Um, it's, it, it's abundant. Um, it's to furnish one so, so richly um, that they have abundance. I, I always picture, I picture, when I picture abundance and abounding in Christ, I picture needing a drink of water and having a waterfall to get it from. Like, that's what I picture, is that you just have a cup and there's just superfluous water. It's just abounding grace and generosity that comes from God. Um, so since he abounds in providing everything he need, we need, we are sufficient in all things at all times, and thus we are free to let go and to trust him. 
the more we trust God that he gives us what we need, the more we're able to approach life with open hands, uh, the more we are uh, overcome with awe at his great blessings. Um, And the easier it is for us to loosen our grip on the things that we hold tight to for security. Um, We are uh, raising a young child, uh, Josephine. Uh, She's 21 months. Um, And recently, we had to break her of uh, the pacifier habit. So if you guys have uh, seen her running around here um, since she was born, she always had the pacifier in her mouth. Um, And that is like where she would draw her comfort in everyday life. Like that was it. Um, If she didn't have the pacifier around, she would go crazy, and it was just so easy to to give her that. And that was a source of comfort for her, right? It's a very uh, worldly thing, and it kind of seems silly, but um, that was a, when we started taking that away from her, um, that was tough for her to to figure out, right? Because she had to learn something she relied on for comfort and for security, we were, we were stripping her of. Um, <laughs> and it's hard. Uh, it is, right? Uh, but that's what, God, that's what God calls us to. These things that, are, that we're reaching for security for, whether it be money uh, or uh, you name it, uh, honor, um, or, you know, success at work. Um, those things that we're taking comfort and taking security in, uh, God is, wants to strip that away from us um, because he so abundantly provides for us um, that we don't need uh, to find our security in that. We can find our security simply in him. So we're going to flip back to chapter 8. We didn't read it, um, but we're going to go over a little bit, uh, a little bit more about what uh, a perfect example that Paul is giving us of a church that basically has it figured out, has generosity figured out. So again, that's what I love about Corinthians is that Paul is, uh, you know, Paul is discipling us by giving us an example. And so for the church in the Corinthians, uh, in, in Corinth, he gives the church in Macedonia as an example of people that held with open hands and that were very generous in giving. So in, in verse 1, he says, in a, For in a severe test of affliction, the church of Macedonia, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So like... First of all, the whole sentence is confusing to me because uh, they're extremely poor, but yet their abundance of joy from what God has given them, what God has provided them, gives them the heart to be generous, to have a wealth of generosity. Um, they gave beyond their means, you see, in, uh, in verse 3. And then in verse 4, they're begging to give more. Like, this is how, this is a transformed heart. They're begging to give more. Um, 
And in verse 5, we see kind of, okay, how they got there. And, and it's, they put the Lord first. It says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And that's where it all starts. And we see in verse 9 what that means exactly. Like, what does it mean to, to give yourself to the Lord? Verse 9 says, this is how we see... This is how we see who the Macedonians use as an example for generosity. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. For you know, by the, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So the Macedonians had that on their heart, that great, that great generosity of God um, that transforms their hearts. The God who created everything became man to suffer and take punishment for our sins so that we could be declared righteous and we could have a relationship with God again. Um, and because of God's great generosity in this act, uh, we can be generous just like him. We can trust him when he said he's providing for us because he proved it. He sent his son to die for us. He proved it. That's why we can trust him. He'll be faithful to give us what we need. Um, now, please don't get the order mixed up here, right? Like, you're not generous so you can receive God's grace, right? God, God is graciously You've abundantly received God's grace through Christ. And you abundantly receive God's gifts and ever-loving kindness in your life um, through all of the gifts in your life. And as we think about that, as we consider that, we place our hope in that. And our hearts are more and more transformed uh, to be generous, to be like his heart. Um. Paul acknowledges that this is really, really hard for most people. Um, and it's hard for me. Um, in, in chapter 8, even to the Corinthians, which I love, this is hilarious. So in verse 7 to the Corinthians, he says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Basically, he's saying, hey, you excel in faith, and knowledge, but you don't excel in generosity. You catch that. Um, I mean, I think that can describe me a lot. Uh, maybe some of you guys. Like, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of the gospel, um, and I believe in, in God, but, it, but am I putting enough trust in him to be uh, abundantly joyed uh, and to be generous with that, with the gifts he's given. Um, going back to Downton Abbey, where it all began, Mr. Carson, uh, he grew up, uh, I think he, he started, I've read the background on this, not that I know, uh, <laughs> but he, when he started at the house, I think when he was 19 or 20, and so he's grown up, if you will, and grown old with the house. And at first he had a little bit of responsibility and then he proved himself faithful and got more responsibility and more responsibility. And over time, he grew to love and respect 
the owners of the house. Um, and, and as he learned to love and care deeper and deeper for the owners of this estate, um, he got more and more responsibility uh, because he proved himself faithful. And a good steward is one that loves and respects the owner. It's how we should, uh, we should strive to be. And again, looking at Mr. Carson, right, he's kind of an old guy in the show, right? So he's, he didn't start out knowing everything and having that much responsibility and, and, and may not have been that good at his job at first, right? So what, what, I wanna, um, what I want us to think about is that as our hearts are further and further transformed towards Jesus, we continue to continue to grow in this generosity. Um, and so we, we, we take steps along the way and we get more and more responsibilities as we take those steps. Um, in chapter 8 with the Corinthians, we see the steps they've taken. A year ago, they started to give, it says. And then, then they desired to give. And now they're planning to do it again. And now, and, and also Paul is calling them to continue generosity. So I, I want to say that, you know, this isn't tomorrow we're going to, or you become a believer and all of a sudden you're super generous with all your stuff, with all God's stuff he's given you. Um, but as you grow and grow in your awe and your love um, and your understanding of the abundance that God has given you, um, you're able to be more generous. So how do, we, how do we know that God, God can do this uh, through us? And, and I point us back to the theme of, of 2 Corinthians, that God will overcome humanity's weakness. God will overcome my weakness. God will overcome your weakness. Um, another confession. I feel like this is a confessional. This is great. Um, like, I'm a control freak, and... Uh, my weakness is I want to control everything. Uh, you talk to my wife about it. It's just, it's bad. Um, or if you see me around my daughter, like I'm, I'm a helicopter parent. Um, it's, uh, I'm working on it. God's working on it for me. Um, but guess what? Like God is bigger than that weakness. Um, and we know that because God overcame humanity's weakness when he sent his son, uh, to die for our sins. Like my control, me being a control freak is, is a sin of mine. That I try to take control and God has control. Um, but that sin of mine, God overcame that on the cross. So there's something that is like that in your life. Like God overcame that so you can feel happy and hopeful uh, that we can do this together. And that... Uh, in chapter 9, so we're going to go back to chapter 9. So fast forward to chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Paul writes that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So God does the work. So just like read that again. God does the work. It's not you. 
God's the one who supplies the seed and he'll supply your need. Um, And not only that, but you're going to be enriched in every way that you continue to be generous in every way. That's every way. So again, this isn't just about money. This is about every way you're generous. God is enriching you in that. So I want to talk about this a little bit. Like don't, sometimes we're tempted to put a box around God, um, but let's not put a box around God. In, for, as an example, um, for time, if you've ever committed uh, to spending time doing something um, that you weren't sure you were going to have time for, um, which at first, you know, your time becomes, the time you have left becomes more and more productive, and then you're able to, to do this one commitment relatively easily. Like, like you were generous with your time and God enriched um, basically that time for you. Um, a parent knows this, right? So before we became parents, I thought we didn't have any time. Honestly, it's just like, I don't know if we could have a kid, but I just don't know when I could find the time to take care of a child. Um, but you see when you have a child that you have, you have time to take care of the child. Uh, your priorities shift, and then you become more productive Uh, in time that you thought you didn't have. So God is generous in that. The more more generous we are, God enriches uh, what we are generous in. Um, For money, who knows? Like if you give more money, if you are more generous with your money, God may enrich you uh, with a raise. He may enrich you with a better paying job. He may. Um, I I don't want to put a box around that. Um, but he could also show you that you need less and less uh, the deeper and deeper you dig into him. What you thought you needed was less and less. So we don't know. But what we do know is that God promises to enrich us in the ways that we're generous, which is awesome news. So since we acknowledge that the only way we can be cheerfully generous is by first remembering that God provides for us in everything and trusting that God will overcome our weaknesses. What good then comes from generosity? Like what happens? Why be generous? What, what good comes from it? So in verse 10, chapter 9, verse 10, he says, again, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see that grace abounds. This abundant grace abounds to provide us with a means to be generous and then grace abounds as a result of that generosity, which is awesome. Um, And this word grace abounds, again, like to little Christianese, but um, in this, in our lives, you can think of it as a lower G grace. So um, loving kindness, goodwill, um, just sharing love, that, that abounds. Um, and he says that it multiplies. 
which is awesome, right? So it doesn't just abound, it multiplies. It's a multiplication effect. The more generous we are, um, the more that that grace multiplies and abounds. And not only that, but it increases the harvest of righteousness. So what does that mean? Harvest of righteousness. That means that lives are changed. Um, Physically, lives can be changed. Um, But also, more importantly, spiritually. Um, Goodwill is spread. People feel loved the more generous we are with our time. The word of God is heard. You show a picture of who Jesus is uh, and what he did for you and what he does for others. Like, that's cool. Um, In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that the fields are white for harvest. So we know that we're called to reap what he has sown. Being generous is a way that we can reap this harvest. Like, that's cool. Like, how you hear that, how do we reap this harvest? But like that practical way is to be generous. It's awesome. That's pretty simple. We can do that. Um, and not only that, like, so what else, what else happens? It goes on to say in verse 11 and 12 that God is glorified and people give thanks to God. Um, they were overflowing in many thanksgivings to God and others glorify God because of, of your generosity. So, I mean, that is, you know, as God, as stewards of what God has given us, the more generous we are with those gifts, the more grace abounds, the more uh, you are, your life and your work is a, is a testimony to who he is as you give back those gifts that he's given you. And, the, and finally, uh, the passage ends and says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And, and I'm talking about Christ Jesus. So I want to finish with a, with a, a picture of this. Um, I, when I became a Christian, I wanted to get involved in ministry, and I uh, chose to do Young Life, which is a Christian high school ministry here in, in uh, well, they have, um, they do it here in Houston. Um, and... Uh, one of the first guys I met through Young Life uh, was uh, um, this, uh, b- by the way, I'm 31 or at this, this point in the story. Um, so Young Life, typically younger college kids are leaders for these high school folks. Um, so I, I already feel a little out of place, but I, but I meet this guy named Brian Robertson, um, who just gave everything. He was... Uh, he was a leader at Bel Air High School when I met him, and he was the MC for a club, and I saw him give talks where he talked about his faith and would preach to these kids. After, uh, after club, he would be praying for them, uh, meeting with them, doing, giving up all this time in his life to these things. And at the time, as a new Christian, I was like, man, I don't know if I have time for, for this young life thing, right? I was kind of trying it out, dipping my toe in, but to see Brian um, just spend so generous with his time and so generous with his talents. This guy was such a talented dude and, and he allowed God to use it to reach others for Christ. How awesome is that? 
Um, and he was, by the way, I was, like I said, I was 31. He was two years older than me. Like, I thought I was the awkward older dude. He was the awkward older dude, but he was way, like, it was just, just his generosity just shone through in everything he did. Um, and it was, uh, it was cool to see. Um, he volunteered for Young Life for 10 or so years. I mean, 10 years, which is unheard of. Um, and what was cool is that, you know, again, at the time, I'm a, I'm a single guy, um, barely thinking I have enough time for ministry. Um, and this dude, I found out, he was married, and he had two girls who were ages like five and six or something. I mean, they were young children. Um, and yet he found all this time to, to pour out every, every gift that God had given him, his time, his talents, his treasure. How awesome is that? Um, changed a lot of lives. Uh, in fact, he stopped doing Young Life um, not because he didn't run, not because he ran out of time, but because him and his wife started uh, emergency foster care. So they started fostering kids um, and ended up adopting a, a child. Um, and so uh, just an amazing picture of somebody who's so generous with their time and so generous with their talent, so generous with what God had, had bestowed him to be a steward of. Um, yeah, uh, so a couple years ago, he came down with cancer. In the last two years, he's been battling cancer. Um, and he lost uh, the battle. A week ago. But what was cool when he was going through this battle, like, you know, his wife has young kids, so she's at home. He doesn't have time to work, really. Um, but his work was generous with him. He had to fly uh, to California for treatment. Um, and people stepped into his life and set up donations for uh, airfare. So they asked for 100,000 miles, and people donated like something like 500,000 miles. So you see that God provided for him, right? He was generous in all of his gifts his whole life. God continued to provide for him. Um, in uh, a week ago, when he announced he was going to the hospice, um, it was amazing. The they have Facebook page and just the amount of people that were commenting that. Brian had changed their lives. Brian had uh, told them about Jesus. He had shown them the face of Jesus. Um, what a harvest. It's just such a cool story because even in the midst of going to the hospice, people set up a GoFundMe for his family to pay for funeral expenses uh, for $90,000. I think right now it's like $180,000. I mean, 
like we can trust that God is going to provide if we pour out what we have, what he's given us. I'm going to read his obituary. Uh, and while I do, I want us to think, is this what we want to be said about us? <clears throat> Brian Robertson, age 40, died on June 27th in Houston after an intense and exceedingly brave battle with cancer. He graduated from Cypress Creek High School in Texas A&M University. Uh, he was a proud Aggie, a passionate football fan. Maybe not that part, some of you guys. Upon graduation, listen to this, Brian quickly put his God-given, engaging personality to good use in work, eventually becoming a nation-leading medical sales representative where he was able to help others receive life-changing medical equipment. But not defined by his career, Brian poured his life into service and friendship to others, most visibly through his years as a Young Life volunteer at Baylor High School and Episcopal High School, but also in countless other ways. Amidst all his accomplishments and involvements, he prioritized his faith and his family, and it was a dedicated husband and father. Brian will be remembered for his great humor, his quick wit, his ample generosity, his continual kindness, and a sincere desire to follow Jesus Christ. And, I mean, to, to kick it all off, at the, at the end of it, in lieu of flowers, please donate to Southwest Houston Young Life. Just giving. And he was able to do that, to give his whole life, because he knows that we, had a God, we have a God who gave his son, gave his son's life to die for us. Good work, faithful servants. Almighty God, you are the creator. You are the owner, God. Uh, you are the landlord. You are the restorer. Uh, you are the great giver, God. We praise you for that. We praise you for that. God, I pray that uh, your words uh, don't fall on us uh, deafly, God, but that we can hear, God, what you, what you want us to hear, and we can uh, be transformed, God. We desire transformed, changed hearts. We desire to be generous with everything that you have given us, God. In your almighty name I pray, amen.